Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, get up and go. Your faith has healed you. My name is Megan. I'm the teaching pastor here at Trinity. And on, on this week of gratitude, I, have, I feel I have many things to be thankful for. Um, I spent all of this past week up in Saskatchewan, um, with a bunch of pastors and leaders there doing some training on preaching. Um, and, you know, one of the gifts of traveling is you get to find out how many amazing people there are in our wider community of faith across the world. Um, but it was also 10 degrees on Friday. <laughs> and no one is ever more grateful for Arizona than I am this morning when I walked out the door. <laughs> Um, also, though, I have a question for us, Arizona. Um, I learned about the gift of seat warmers up in Saskatchewan. Why has no one yet invented seat air conditioners? Um, th this is the question that will be haunting me. I invite you to pray with me as we approach God's word this morning. God, breathe in your word by the power of your spirit so that it will live for us and we can live for you. Amen. Well, in, in the story Dre just read for us this morning, Jesus at, looks around the crowd and he asks them a question. Where are the other nine? And, you know, whenever I read this story, that question always gets to me because I feel like I know exactly where the other nine are because I am one of the other nine. Um, so, so let's just back up a little. Where are the other nine? Well, let's just hypothetically say that one of these other nine is a man named John because about 10% of Jewish men were named John in this time, so odds are good one was named John. And you know, the worst day of John's life was the day he looked down and he noticed spots on his skin. Uh, odds are really good that what, what John was experiencing was a skin infection that results from walking in sewage all day and rarely having a bath. But to, to John, you know, this is way before any kind of modern medical knowledge, this just seemed like a random horrific act of God. He knows from the moment he sees this spot that what he is setting out on is basically a journey of indefinite exile. He's going to have to leave his village, move away from his family, his friends, and his job in order to avoid spreading this contagion. And so he takes up living with nine other miserable human beings, a homeless existence outside the city. And they're, they're living this, like, miserable, houseless, jobless, familyless existence for who knows how long. And one day, you know, they're, they're family members who come to visit them from a distance. You have to stay not six feet away, but so far you communicate by shouting. And somebody shouts to them from one of their families that some man named Jesus is traveling around, and he's healed people. Heal 
healed people. And so they hear this kind of shouted news from somebody who cares about them, and and all ten of them spend weeks camping next to the road, hoping that Jesus is going to pass. And one day a crowd comes by. They're not allowed to even get close enough to Jesus to make any kind of case for why he should help them. All they can do is shout, and they only get a few words, right? Communication by shouting is not the easiest. So they just shout, Jesus, Master, mercy, That's about all they get. And Jesus shouts back to them across the void, go see the priests. Now, this is not like the greatest thing in the world to have heard from Jesus because the priests are days and days of walking away and priests are not doctors. They don't have any treatment method. The only reason you go to see a priest is so they can fill out the paperwork and certify when you're well. But these guys are desperate, they have nothing else to do, so they decide to give it a try. And they turn and they start walking toward Jerusalem. And John isn't the the first one to notice the change. The first one to notice is Pierre, a, a foreigner they never would have spoken to before they were trapped in hell together. And Pierre looks down and cries out, my rash is gone. And they all stop and they look at each other's arms and legs and all of them are well. And, you know, they do what you would do in this situation. They start jumping up and down and hugging and shouting and screaming and crying. They're dancing around. Their feet just won't stop. How is this possible? And pretty soon somebody says, you know, if we start running right now, we could get to the priest in three days. We could be back to our family in six. And they just bolt. Now, at some point, someone looks around and notices that Pierre isn't with them. But, you know, he was never really one of them anyway. He was from somewhere else. And the, the miles do not, they can't pass fast enough. You know when you're desperate to get somewhere and it feels like every mile is an eternity? So they spend all of these endless miles talking about what's the first meal they're going to eat? What is the expression on their wife's face going to look like? Their kids, what will they say when they come in? And you might be asking yourself, like, doesn't John ever think to himself... What about that guy who helped me? Now, of course he does. Of course he thinks about it. Of course he wonders. It really is crazy that all of them got better on the same day. But here's the thing. They never talked to Jesus except for one random cry across the void. They never touched Jesus. And diseases like this, they come completely randomly, and sometimes they go completely randomly with zero explanation, and who's ever going to know for sure what actually happened? So they go and see the priest, and they get their paperwork, and they go home, and they embrace their families, and John thinks to himself, I'm never going to take this hug for granted again. And he, he doesn't notice the day when he finally wakes up for the first time and doesn't think to himself, I can't believe I'm here. But of course that day comes and it comes faster than he would have thought because here is where he was always supposed to be, right? That, that time outside the village, that was the disruption. That, that, that wasn't what was supposed to happen, but now he is where he's meant to be. And seasons pass and he goes back to his job and really he prefers not to think that much about those terrible months that he spent alone outside the village, And he he only does really think about it every once in a while when he's passing on the road and he hears someone else cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away. 
and he gets this kind of knot in the pit of his stomach. But then a few years later, drought comes and, and the crops aren't growing and he's got more mouths to feed and there's not really time to think about anything anymore except just surviving. How are we going to get through this harvest? The story of the nine is easy enough to guess. But what about the one? Uh, what about this one guy? Um, I called him Pierre because who knows what Samaritans call themselves? No idea. But he is with them. He's hugging. He's dancing. He's really excited. He has nothing in common with these other nine people except that they've become brothers in pain. And when all nine of them take off running toward their temple and their priests, Pierre pauses for a second because he has a problem. Um, He is a Samaritan, and the Samaritans have a different place of worship. They have different priests. This is a point of hot contention that usually keeps his people and their people apart. And he's not sure which way to go. Jesus said, priests in general, does it matter? What do I do? And then as he's pausing, he's deciding where to go. Something registers for him. He prayed for mercy, and God answered. And there were no priests involved at all. The only person involved here was a man named Jesus. God heard him and sent Jesus. And all of a sudden, he knows that before he goes home, there's somewhere he has to go first. So he turns around, he retraces his steps backwards up the road, and he finds Jesus. And shouting praises to God, he throws himself at Jesus' feet and just says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus looks around and says, where's everybody else? And then Jesus looks down at Pierre at his feet and he says, get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Does something strike you as weird about that statement from Jesus? Your faith has made you well. I mean, didn't Jesus just cleanse all ten, including the people who didn't show up? So, so what on earth does Jesus mean your faith has healed you? Is this a test? Is this like a situation where Jesus is going to retract the gift from all the ungrateful jerks who didn't say thank you and deserve it, and now they're going to get halfway home and the spots are going to be back? I mean, you might, you might be tempted to suspect that's actually what's going to happen, except not that much earlier in Luke, Jesus has actually articulated a different kind of philosophy as the way God thinks about giving gifts. Listen to what Jesus has told his followers about God's philosophy of giving. Jesus says in Luke 6, If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting the way children of the Most High act, For God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. 
Here's Jesus' statement of principle to his disciples. What is God like? Well, God is kind to ungrateful people. The mercy of God is not contingent, Jesus says, even on gratitude. You know, I, I feel like in my life I've sat through a lot of conversations on gratitude in churches. I've heard a lot of sermons on gratitude. And it always kind of comes out sounding like gratitude is something we should do because we owe it to God. Now, we, we should be grateful because we owe it. Um, and and I, I can't disagree with that on principle. Like, we do owe it to God. But at the same time, I feel like 10% thanks is probably a better than average day for God. You know, like 1 in 10, that's, that's pretty good. I mean... God does not withdraw gifts because people are ungrateful. If God did, we'd all be in real trouble. So so when Jesus says to this one guy, the one that came back, your faith has healed you, what does he mean? All ten got the healing. But what if this guy got something more? What if the healing Jesus is talking about here isn't just his skin? You know, as far as the the nine are concerned, as far as their story goes, the story they're going to tell themselves the rest of their life, they once got a mysterious illness that caused great suffering and almost derailed their life. And then one day a stranger came along and told them to see the priest, and the disease disappeared as mysteriously as it had arrived. And maybe one day when they're old men and they're kind of reflecting back on the strange twists and turns that life takes, they'll think about this moment and they'll be glad that it happened and they'll wonder what it all means. That'll be the story of the nine. But one person will have a different story. One person will know that he once got mysteriously ill and his life was taken apart by forces totally uh, outside his control and all he could do was cry out desperately for help. And when that happened, God heard him. And God sent a man named Jesus to make him whole. Jesus did this while they were miles apart before he could even really ask. Jesus asked nothing in return. And that's the day he will have learned that he is known and loved by God. He is valued by God beyond what he ever possibly imagined. That'll be the day that he got up and he went home to a brand new life with the life-changing knowledge that he was valued by God. All 10 went home with clean skin, but only one went home with a different story. All 10 went home healed, but only one went home whole. Only one person here went home knowing that they would never be unheard, that there was nowhere they could go the rest of their life where God wouldn't find them. Only one person went home knowing that they could rely on God's knowledge and care. Only one person went home to live the rest of their life with that knowledge that God's goodness and God's generosity was reliable. Gratitude was the key to the second order gift. It's the difference between a guy that something bad happened to once and then something good happened to once and a guy who knows that he's been heard and cared for by God. I mean, the problem with with lacking gratitude is not that we offend God. 
and perhaps make God take away our presence. The problem with lacking gratitude is we only end up with half the gifts. We get, we get healed of our skin. We get healed of that thing that we were like desperately crying for, but we don't get healed of our fear for the future. We don't get healed of our anxiety about whether we matter, about whether we're loved, about whether we're good enough, about whether God sees us and hears us and cares. I mean, if you go through both Testaments of the Bible, you're going to find that gratitude is commanded more than almost any other behavior. And I think the reason for that is gratitude is the foundation of everything else. We don't practice gratitude because we owe it. We practice gratitude because it's key to the rest of life. People who know that God has heard them and has answered them can walk through the world with a different kind of confidence. They can live more freely, and they can live bravely, and they can live generously. They can lie down and sleep at night in peace. Right? They, they can take a whole different posture, a whole different confidence into the world. Most of us are the nine. We were once sick in particular ways, and now we're well. We were once broken in certain parts, and now we're whole. There were once things missing from our lives that we now have in abundance. And we're telling ourselves a story where good things happen sometimes. Bad things, good things, that's life. But, but there's another story that might also possibly be true. And that's a story where someone heard our cries even before they were turned into fully-fledged prayers. Somebody heard us when all we could do was shout or moan or scream and responded with mercy. And that gift of mercy, it didn't depend on us recognizing it. It didn't depend on us being grateful for it. It just came to us freely because God is that way. But there's a second gift still to receive. I mean, I heard a story the other day from someone here at this church about a parent who was sitting in our sanctuary on Sunday morning and heard their kid's voice like way out on the opposite end of the parking lot and went shooting out of here. And we were like, what kind of ears does this parent have? Right? Like, how can you hear your kid from like a half block away? This is how parents are, right? Like, as a, a non-parent myself, it blows my mind how parents can pick up their kids' voices. This is how God is. God can hear your voice with a circus going on from a mile away. God is totally tuned in. God can always hear it. Nothing can block it, and God will never be indifferent to it. That's the truth about God that most of us don't know, maybe not just in our heads, but we, we struggle to internalize. Like, how, how do we get that truth like from abstract knowledge into life? And the best way that I know to receive that truth, to, to begin to live out of a different space, is to trace your steps backwards. Do what the one man did. Right? I did this as an exercise myself about a year ago, and I, I just was really amazed and stunned by it. I decided to just spend some time, like I got out my journal and I decided to think, what was I crying out about five years ago? Like, where were the wounds? Where were the lacks? What was the thing that I was kind of bringing to God purposely or not purposely? And write them all down. And, you know, it was remarkable. My life is full of things that are gifts, evidence of healing. Things that were broken are now whole. 
Now, I wonder what would happen to you if you traced your steps back. I mean, pick your own time marker. Two years, five years, ten years. What were you praying for? What were you crying out for? Is there any area of life where you are more whole now than you were then? Is there any area where you were in darkness where sometime along the way the light came back on and you didn't even notice? Is there any place where you were alienated or disconnected where now you feel belonging? I mean, consider if your answer is yes, that that wasn't just an accident, that somebody heard you, that somebody cares about the ups and downs of your journey that there is someone who cares and that hasn't stopped caring, that won't stop caring. Someone who found you yesterday who will find you again tomorrow. I mean, that's the second gift that gratitude brings, and if we can begin to wrap our souls around it, it changes everything about the confidence we can take into the world. The certainty, there's nowhere we can go where we are not seen and heard and loved. Whatever you do, don't leave the second gift on the table. Turn around, go back, and receive that second gift.